Chapters four and five of the Shepherd of the Hills. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Jomard. The Shepherd of the Hills by Harold Bell Wright. Chapter four: A Chat with Aunt Molly. When the stranger looked from his window the next morning, the valley was still wrapped in its gray blanket. But when he and his host came from the house after breakfast, the sun had climbed well above the ridge, and, save a long, loosely twisted rope of fog that hung above the distant river, the mists were gone. The city man exclaimed with delight at the beauty of the scene. As they stood watching the sheep, white specks in the distance, climbing out of the valley where the long shadows still lay, to the higher sunlit pastures, Mr. Matthews said, We've all been a talkin' about you this morning, Mr. Howitt, and we'd like mighty well to have you stop with us for a spell. If I understood right, you're just out for your health anyway, and you'll go a long way, sir, before you find a healthier place than this right here. We ain't got much such as you're used to, I know, but what we have is yourn, and we'd be proud to have you make yourself to home for as long as you'd like to stay. You see, it's been a good while since we met up with anybody like you, and we counted a real favor to have you. Mr. Howitt accepted the invitation with evident pleasure, and soon after the mountaineer rode away to Bear Creek on his quest for a man to herd sheep. Young Matt had already gone with his team to the field on the hillside west of the house, and the brown pony stood at the gate ready for Sammy Lane to return to her home on Dewey Bald. "'I'd like the best in the world to stay, Aunt Molly,' she said in answer to Mrs. Matthews' protest. "'But you know there is no one to feed the stock, and besides, Mandy Ford will be back some time to-day.' The older woman's arm was around the girl as they went down the walk. "'You must come over real often now, honey. You know it won't be long till you'll be a-leaving us for good. How do you reckon you'll like being a fine lady and living in the city with them big folks?' The girl's face flushed and her eyes had that wide questioning look as she answered slowly. "'I don't know, Aunt Molly. I ain't never seen a sure enough fine lady. I reckon them city folks are a heap different from us. But I reckon they're just as human. It would be nice to have lots of money and pretties, but somehow I feel like there's a heap more than that to think about. Anyhow,' she added brightly, I ain't goin' for quite a spell yet, and you know preachin' Bill says there ain't no use to worry about the chop until the dogs has treed the coon. I'll sure come over every day. Mrs. Matthews kissed the girl, and then, standing at the gate, watched until the pony and rider had disappeared in the forest. Later, Aunt Molly, with a woman's fondness for a quiet chat, brought the potatoes she was preparing for dinner to sit with Mr. Howitt on the porch. "'I declare I don't know what we'll do without Sammy,' she said. "'I just can't bear to think of her going away.' The guest, feeling that some sort of a reply was expected, asked, "'Is the family moving from the neighborhood?' "'No, sir, there ain't no family to move. Just Sammy and her pa, and Jim Lane won't never leave this country again. You see, Ollie Stewart's uncle, his father's brother it is, Ain't got no children of his own, and he wrote for Ollie to come and live with him in the city. He's to go to school and learn the business, foundry and machine shops, or something like that it is. And if the boy does what's right, he's to get it all some day. 
Ollie and Sammy has been promised ever since the talk first began about his going, but they'll wait now until he gets through his schoolin'. It'll be mighty nice for Sammy marryin' Ollie, but we'll miss her awful. The whole country will miss her, too. She's just the life of the neighborhood, and everybody lows there never was another girl like her. Poor child, she ain't had no mother since she was a little trick, and she has always come to me for everything like, us being such close neighbors and all. But law, sir, I ain't a-blamin' her a mite for goin', with her daddy a-runnin' with that ornery Wash Gibbs the way he does. Again the man felt called upon to express his interest. Is Mr. Lane in business with this man, Gibbs? Law, no. That is, don't nobody know about any business. I reckon it's all on account of those old bald knobbers. They used to hold their meetings on top of Dewey yonder, and folks do say a man was burned there once because he told some of their secrets. Well, Jim and Wash's daddy, and Wash all belong, though Wash himself wasn't much more than a boy then. And when the government broke up the gang, old man Gibbs was killed and Jim went to Texas. It was there that Sammy's ma died. When Jim come back, it wasn't long before he was mighty thick again with Wash and his crowd down on the river, and he's been that way ever since. There's them that says it's the same old gang, what's left of them, and some thinks, too, that Jim and Wash knows about the old Dewey mine. Mr. Howitt, remembering his conversation with Jed Holland, asked encouragingly, Is this mine a very rich one? Don't nobody rightly know about that, sir, answered Aunt Molly. This is how it was. Away back when the Injuns was making trouble, cause the government was moving them west to the territory, this old man Dewey lived up there somewhere on that mountain. He was a mighty queer old fellow. Didn't mix up with the settlers at all. Except Uncle Josh Hensley's boy, who wasn't right smart and didn't nobody know where he come from, nor nothing. But all the same, twas him that warned the settlers of the trouble, and helped them all through it, scoutin' and such. And one time, when they was about out of bullets and didn't have nothing to make more out of, Colonel Dewey took a couple of men and some mules up on that mountain yonder, in the night, and when they got back they was just loaded down with lead. But he wouldn't tell nobody where he got it, and as long as he was with them the men didn't dare tell. Well, sir, them two men was killed soon after by the engines, and when the trouble was finally over, old Dewey disappeared and ain't never been heard tell of since. They say the mine is somewheres in a big cave, but nobody ain't never found it, though there's them that says the bald knobbers used the cave to hide their stuff in, and that's how Jim Lane and Wash Gibbs knows where it is. It's all mighty queer. You can see for yourself that Lost Creek down yonder just sinks clean out of sight all at once. There must be a big hole in there somewhere. Aunt Molly pointed with her knife to the little stream that winds like a thread of light down into the hollow. I tell you, sir, these hills is pretty to look at, but there ain't much here for a girl like Sammy, and I don't blame her a mite for wantin' to leave. It's a mighty hard place to live, Mr. Howitt, and dangerous, too, sometimes. The city has its hardships and its dangers, too, Mrs. Matthews. Life there demands almost too much at times. I often wonder if it is worth the struggle. I guess that's so, replied Aunt Molly. But it don't seem like it could be so hard as it is here. I tell Mr. Matthews we've clean forgot the ways of civilized folks. Altogether, though, I suppose we've done as well as most, and we had not to complain. 
The old scholar looked at the sturdy figure in its plain calico dress, at the worn hands busy with their homely task, and the patient, kindly face, across which time had plowed many a furrow, in which to plant the seeds of character and worth. He thought of other women who had sat with him on hotel verandas at fashionable watering-places. Women gowned in silks and laces. Women whose soft hands knew no heavier task than the filmy fancy-work they toyed with, and whose greatest care, seemingly, was that time should leave upon their faces no record of the passing years. And this is the stuff, said he to himself, that makes possible the civilization that produces them. Aloud, he said, Do you ever talk of going back to your old home? No, sir, not now. She rested her wet hands idly on the edge of the pan of potatoes, and turned her face toward the clump of pines. We used to think we'd go back some time. Seemed like at first I couldn't stand it. Then the children come, and every time we laid one of them over there, I thought less about leaving. Until now we never talk about it no more. Then there was our girl, too, Mr. Howitt. No, sir, we won't never leave these hills now. Oh, you had a daughter, too? I understood from Mr. Matthews that your children were all boys. Aunt Molly worked a few moments longer in silence, then arose and turned toward the house. Yes, sir, there was a girl. She's buried under that biggest pine you see off there a little to one side. We... we... don't never talk about her. Mr. Matthews can't stand it. Seems like he ain't never been the same since... since it happened. Tain't natural for him to be so rough and short. He's just as good and kind inside as any man ever was or could be. He's real taken with you, Mr. Howitt, and I'm mighty glad you're going to stop a spell, for it will do him good. If it hadn't been for Sammy Lane running in every day or two, I don't guess he could have stood it at all. I sure don't know what we'll do now that she's going away. Then there's... there's that at the ranch in Mutton Hollow, but I guess I'd better not try to tell you about that. I wish Mr. Matthews would, though. Maybe he will. You know so much more than us. I know most you could help us, or tell us about things. Chapter 5 Just Nobody After the midday meal, while walking about the place, Mr. Howitt found a well-worn path. It led him to the group of pines not far from the house, where five rough headstones marked the five mounds placed side by side. A little apart from these was another mound, alone. Beneath the pines the needles made a carpet, firm and smooth, figured by the wild woodbine that clambered over the graves. Moss had gathered on the headstones, and the wind in the dark branches above moaned ceaselessly. About the little plot of ground a rustic fence of poles was built, and the path led to a stile by which one might enter the enclosure. The stranger seated himself upon the rude steps. Below and far away he saw the low hills, rolling ridge on ridge like the waves of a great sea, until in the blue distance they were so lost in the sky that he could not say which was mountain and which was cloud. 
His poet heart was stirred at the sight of the vast reaches of the forest, all shifting light and shadows. The cool depths of the nearby woods, with the sunlight filtering through the leafy arches in streaks and patches of gold on green, and the wide, wide sky with fleets of cloud ships sailing to unseen ports below the hills. The man sat very still, and as he looked the worn face changed. Once, as if at some pleasing memory, he smiled. A gray squirrel with bright eyes full of curious regard peeped over the limb of an oak. A red bird hopping from bush to bush whistled to his mate, and a bob-white's quick call came from a nearby thicket. The dreamer was aroused at last by the musical tinkle of a bell. He turned his face toward the sound but could see nothing. The bell was coming nearer. It came nearer still. Then he saw here and there through the trees small, moving patches of white. An old ewe followed by two lambs came from behind a clump of bushes and the moving patches of white shaped themselves into other sheep feeding in the timber. Mr. Howitt sat quite still, and while the old ewe paused to look at him, the lambs took advantage of the opportunity, until their mother was satisfied with her inspection, and by moving on upset them. Soon the whole flock surrounded him, and after the first lingering look of inquiry, paid no heed to his presence. Then, from somewhere among the trees, came the quick, low bark of a dog. The man looked carefully in every direction. He could see nothing but the sheep, yet he felt himself observed. Again came the short bark, and this time a voice, a girl's voice, Mr. Howitt thought, said, "'It's all right, brave. Go on, brother.' And from behind a big rock, not far away, a shepherd-dog appeared followed by a youth of some fifteen years. He was a lightly built boy, a bit tall for his age, perhaps, but perfectly erect, and his every movement was one of indescribable grace, while he managed somehow to wear his rough backwoods garments, with an air of distinction as remarkable as it was charming. The face was finely molded, almost girlish, with the large grey eyes, and its frame of yellow, golden hair. It was a sad face when in repose, yet wonderfully responsive to every passing thought and mood. But the eyes, with their strange expression and shifting light, proclaimed the lad's mental condition. As the boy came forward in a shy, hesitating way, an expression of amazement and wonder crept into the stranger's face. He left his seat and started forward, Howard, he said. Howard. That ain't his name, mister. His name's Pete, returned the youth in low, soft tones. In the voice and manner of the lad, no less than in his face and eyes, Mr. Howitt read his story. Unconsciously he echoed the words of Mr. Matthews. Poor Pete. The dog lifted his head and looked into the man's face, while his tail wagged a joyful greeting, and as the man stooped to pat the animal and speak a few kind words, a beautiful smile broke over the delicate features of the youth. Throwing himself upon the ground, he cried, "'Come here, brave. 
and taking the dog's face between his hands, said in confidential tones, ignoring Mr. Howitt's presence, "'He's a good man, ain't he, brother?' The dog answered with wagging tail. "'We sure like him, don't we?' The dog gave a low bark. "'Listen, brave, listen.' He lifted his face to the treetops, then turned his ear to the ground, while the dog, too, seemed to hearken. Again that strange smile illuminated his face. "'Yes, yes, brave, we sure like him. And the tree-things like him, too, brother. And the flowers, the little flower-things that know everything. They're all a-singin' to Pete, cause he's come. Did you see the flower-things in his eyes, and hear the tree-things a-talkin' in his voice, brave? And see, brother, the sheep like him, too.' Pointing toward the stranger, he laughed aloud. The old ewe had come quite close to the man, and one of the lambs was nibbling at his trousers' leg. Mr. Howitt seated himself on the stile again, and the dog, released by the youth, came to lie down at his feet, while the boy seemed to forget his companions, and appeared to be listening to voices unheard by them, now and then nodding his head and moving his lips in answer. The old man looked long and thoughtfully at the youth, his own face revealing a troubled mind. This, then, was Pete. Poor Pete. Howard, whispered the man, the perfect image. Then again he said, half aloud, Howard. The boy turned his face and smiled. "'That ain't his name, mister. His name's Pete. Pete seen you yesterday over on Dewey. And Pete, he heard the big hills and the woods a-singin' when you talked. But Jed, he didn't hear. Jed, he don't hear nothin' but himself. He can't. But Pete, he heard, and all Pete's people, too. And the gray mist things come out and danced along the mountain.' "'cause they was so glad you come. "'And Pete went with you along the old trail. "'Course, though, you didn't know. "'Do you like Pete's people, mister?' "'He waved his hands to include the forest, "'the mountains, and the sky, "'and there was a note of anxiety in the sweet voice "'as he asked again, "'Do you like Pete's friends?' "'Yes, indeed, I like your friends,' replied Mr. Howitt heartily. "'And I would like to be your friend, too, if you will let me. "'What is your other name?' "'The boy shook his head. "'Not me. "'Not me,' he said. "'Do you like Pete?' "'The man was puzzled. "'Are you not Pete?' he asked. "'The delicate face grew sad. "'No, no, no,' he said in a low, moaning tone. I'm not Pete. Pete, he lives in here. He touched himself on the breast. I am. I am. A look of hopeless bewilderment crept into his eyes. I don't know who I am. I'm just nobody. Nobody can't have no name, can he? He stood with downcast head. Then suddenly he raised his face and the shadows lifted as he said, but Pete, he knows, mister. Ask Pete. 
a sudden thought came to Mr. Howitt. "'Who is your father, my boy?' Instantly the brightness vanished. Again the words were a puzzled moan. "'I ain't got no father, mister. I ain't me. Nobody can't have no father, can he?' The other spoke quickly. "'But Pete had a father, who was Pete's father.' Instantly the gloom was gone and the face was bright again. "'Sure, mister. Pete's got a father, don't you know? Everybody knows that. Look!' He pointed upward to a break in the trees, to a large cumulus cloud that had assumed a fantastic shape. "'He lives in them white hills up there. See him, mister? Sometimes he takes Pete with him up through the sky, and course I go along.' We sail and sail and sail with the big bird things up there, while the sky things sing, and sometimes we play with the cloud things all day in them white hills. Pete says he'll take me away up there where the star things live some day, and we won't never come back again, and I won't be nobody no more, and Aunt Molly says she reckons Pete knows. Course, I'd hate mighty much to go away from Uncle Matt and Aunt Molly and Matt and Sammy, cause they're mighty good to me. But I just got to go where Pete goes, you see, cause I ain't nobody and nobody can't be nothing, can he? The stranger was fascinated by the wonderful charm of the boy's manner and words. As the lad's sensitive face glowed or was clouded by each wayward thought, and the music of his sweet voice rose and fell, Mr. Howitt told himself that one might easily fancy the child some wandering spirit of the woods and hills. Aloud he asked, "'Has Pete a mother, too?' The youth nodded toward the big pine that grew to one side of the group, and lowering his voice replied, "'That's Pete's mother.' Mr. Howitt pointed to the grave. "'You mean she sleeps there?' No, no, not there. There. He pointed up to the big tree itself. She never sleeps, don't you hear her? He paused. The wind moaned through the branches of the pine. Drawing closer to the stranger's side, the boy whispered, She always talks that away, Always. And it makes Pete feel bad. She wants somebody. Hear her callin', callin'. Colin? He'll sure come some day, mister. He sure will. Say, do you know where he is? The stranger, startled, drew back. No, no, my boy, certainly not. What do you mean? Who are you? Like the moaning of the pines came the reply. Nothing, mister. Nobody can't mean nothing, can they? I'm just nobody. But Pete lives in here. Ask Pete. Is Pete watching the sheep? Asked Mr. Howitt, anxious to divert the boy's mind to other channels. Yes, we're attendin' em now, but they can't trust us, you know. When they call Pete, he just goes, and course I've got to go long. Who is it calls Pete? Why, they, don't you know? I allowed you knowed about things. They called Pete last night. The moonlight things was out and all the shadow things. 
Didn't you see them, mister? The moonlight things, the wind, the stars, the shadow things, and all the rest played with Pete in the shiny mists. And course I was along. Didn't you hear singin'? Pete, he always sings that away when the moonlight things is out. Seems like he just can't help it. But what becomes of the sheep when Pete goes away? The boy shook his head sadly. Sometimes they get so lost that young Matt can't never find em. Sometimes wolves get em. It's too bad, mister, it sure is. Then laughing aloud, he clapped his hands. There was a feller at the ranch to keep him, but he didn't stay. Ha ha, he didn't stay, you bet he didn't. Pete didn't like him. Brave didn't like him. Nothing didn't like him. The trees wouldn't talk when he was around. The flowers died when he looked at him. And the birds all stopped singing and went away over the mountains. He didn't stay, though. Again he laughed. You bet he didn't stay. Pete knows. Why did the man go? asked Mr. Howitt, thinking to solve a part of the mystery, at least. But the only answer he could draw from the boy was, Pete knows. Pete knows. Later, when the stranger returned to the house, Pete went with him. At the big gate they met Mr. Matthews, returning unsuccessful from his trip. "'Hello, boy,' said the big man. "'How's Pete to-day?' The lad went with glad face to the giant mountaineer. It was clear that the two were the warmest friends. "'Pete's mighty glad to-day, cause he's come,' he pointed to Mr. Howitt. Does Pete like him? The boy nodded. All Pete's people like him. Ask him to keep the sheep, Uncle Matt. He won't be scared at the shadow things in the night. Mr. Matthew smiled as he turned to his guest. Pete never makes a mistake in his judgment of men, Mr. Howitt. He's different from us ordinary folks, as you can see. But in some things he knows a heap more. I'm mighty glad he's took up with you, sir. All day I've been thinking I'd tell you about some things I don't like to talk about. I feel after last night like you'd understand, maybe, and might help me, you having education. But still I've been a little afraid, us being such strangers. I know I'm right now, cause Pete says so. If you weren't the kind of a man I think you are, he'd never took to you like he has. That night the mountaineer told the stranger from the city the story that I have put down in the next chapter. End of chapters 4 and 5